morning, church family. It is good to be with you. If you're new with us, uh, welcome to you. Hope you find, like many of us have, the great joy of this family called Bridges, and especially the joy of following Jesus together. Um, no greater joy than that. So thank you for being here. We're going to be in God's Word together, and I invite you to turn your Bible open to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're going to continue our series exploring what it means to have Jesus on display in our life. If you did not have a Bible, there are some provided for you right in front of you. I think it's page 990-something, right around that neighborhood. So, uh, is that right? Okay, good. Good. Um, so, 1 Timothy chapter 5. And this is instruction that Paul gives to Timothy on what life and the family should be like. And we're going to hopefully take out some really rich principles from the teaching here that Paul gives to Timothy and the church in Ephesus. And translate to our setting, our life right now. I think you'll find it really challenging and healthy, and I've got a couple people that are going to help me um, with that application piece. So here's how it starts. We'll be focusing on verses 1 through 16 in chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Paul begins this chapter, this piece of his teaching to Timothy, instructing this young man how to do life in church as a leader in Ephesus and how to treat people around him, how to view people around them, how to lead them, and the best way to, to look at people in different places of life, in different life stages, and in diff- with different genders. Hidden in verse 1, I think, is one of those profound insights the Scripture often gives us. And it's about life together. It implies that the way you treat people depend on how you see them. The way that you treat people around you, specifically the people around here in our church family, it depends on how you view them, how you perceive them. And the principle behind what Paul is going to teach here is this. View and treat people in the family with love and respect. View and treat people in the family, this church family, with love and respect. And when I view people as loved and respected family members, my treatment of them changes. My actions change toward them. It's really easy to put people in unhealthy categories, isn't it? Whether that's uh, age categories and what they're capable of or it's gender, or whatever it might be, it's easy for us to categorize people, even people in the church family. Sometimes we see people as rivals, or obstacles, or people in our way, or whatever. But Paul is going to help us, and help Timothy specifically here in the text, view people differently, see them differently. He's suggesting for Timothy that if he sees every older man in the congregation as a father, a father whom he loves then he will treat them with natural deference and respect. How you look at other people, it will change your actions, he's telling Timothy. And he's going to encourage Timothy to treat them as they need to be treated. Not with harsh words, but actually with respectful actions. So, Paul tells Timothy when he looks at an older man to treat him as a dad. And as he speaks to them, as he encourages them, as he challenges them to grow in the faith, 
do that as he would a father that he would respect. Further, Paul tells Timothy to view young men as if they were brothers, not the kind of brothers that irritate you and that you're competing with and struggling with, but pretend that you're out of the house now and you look back fondly at your brother. You miss them. You want to spend time with them. You respect them in new and different ways. You, you have things that you've done together as brothers in the same dysfunctional home that you lived in and grew up in and the same parents you suffered with. You are connected with your brothers for life. And in the same way, you ought to view people in the fellowship that are your same age, not with fighting or competing or trying to get over, but as really brothers that you love and have a fondness toward and that you respect and have a concern for. And then Paul tells Timothy to treat older women as moms. Think of them differently with, as a mother who deserves your respect. I had the privilege of growing up in a church environment where I had older ladies, women in the fellowship who, who treated me as a mom. I had multiple moms, and they not only gave me their generosity and their support, but they also kept the bumpers on in my life, right? So I didn't go off in a left field. All that is really healthy and helpful in the family of God that we share together. And we ought to treat each other. We ought to look at each other as really true family members, is what Paul is telling Timothy as a leader. Think, think of people differently. View them differently with a fondness, with an affection, with an appreciation for who they are and the role that they have in your life and with each other. And then notice Paul says, or does not say, to treat the older women in the fellowship as evil stepmothers. Don't do that, right? Treat them as they deserve with, with the amount of respect that they give you. And make sure that you spend time with them, learning from them. And Paul tells Timothy that as a young pastor, he ought to treat the younger women as sisters with love and interest and concern in their lives, but certainly without attempts at sexual involvement. That's why he says, in purity. He uses that intentionally. So we view each other in a healthy way. We see each other as family members and care for each other and concern with each other and invest in each other's life. And a healthy family, a healthy church, that's what we do together. We see each other differently and we are committed to each other's health and growth. So, Paul gives this instruction to Timothy to make sure that he views and treats people in the family with love and respect. And in doing so, we bring health to our relationships. We bring harmony in the family and we demonstrate to people outside of the church how good it is to be part of the family of God. How healthy it is and what a true family of faith could look like when Jesus is on display in our lives. Then Paul continues his counsel, verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayer night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. She's not experiencing real life, is what Paul is saying. 
Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow, that's, that's strong counsel. Did you hear that last verse? I'm going to read it one more time just to irritate you. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So Paul is going to dive into what apparently was a significant issue in the church in the first century in Ephesus. And that was that there was some women who had lost their husbands. They were now widows and they were not being cared for. And there were some people in their church fellowship that were vulnerable and needed the church family to step in. So how do you do that? How do you navigate that? And what do we think about when we see people around us in need? There are some factors going on in the first century church in Ephesus that you need to know and understand so you understand the context here. The first, that the pri- first is this, that the primary social security net in that culture in that time was the family. It was the nuclear family And they were strongly valued and emphasized. You depended on your family because government did not have a security net like we enjoy today in the same way. Families were the security net. And it was up to the family to supply ongoing care for the family members that couldn't provide for themselves. And as you can imagine in that culture, just like today's culture, wherever you travel, um, the level of care was uneven. Some families were really great at caring for family members in need, and some family members, some families were dysfunctional and really weren't catching it. And so the church was concerned about how to best do that. There's a second factor, and that is that women were rarely able to, um, to be able to get a job to be able to support themselves, and especially support themselves and their family. There are a couple exceptions in the New Testament, Lydia, who was a seller of purple, who Paul met in Philippi, that uh, she was apparently able to care for themselves. And, and Phoebe, a deaconess in Centria near Corinth, Paul also mentioned as a traveling businesswoman. But these, these were exceptions to the rules. Most women were dependent on the family system and needed the family system to survive financially just as people were interdependent in the family and needed these women to be productive in the family system. There's a third factor, and that is that the church operated as an extended family and really did care for those people who were in need in their family. But Paul is going to say there are some people in that church family that you need to step in and care for with all kinds, manners of resources and support, And there's one principle that you need to take mind of. I read that verse repeatedly just so you caught it. And that's this, that taking care of our family is a vivid expression of our faith. Taking care of your family is an expression of Christ on display in your life. Did you catch that? So there is responsibility that we have according to to being followers of Jesus, according to Scripture, to take care of our family members. But can I just say this? It's messy, isn't it? It can get hard to know 
who to care for and how to care for your family, when to step in, when to not step in, when you're being intrusive, when you're being an enabler. How do you, how do you navigate this? Um, what we're about to step into, we had some really healthy dialogue right after the first service about because it's difficult and every family situation is different. Every family system is a little bit different, and each of our families are different. It is messy, and, um, and sometimes it's even more difficult to be on the receiving end than the giving end. Some of you are in that life stage where you're still in process with your folks and wondering, okay, what's the next step of how do I step in or with your grandparents? Some of you are on the other end of the spectrum wondering, am I going to be... Um, needing to rely on my family members and what's that going to look like. I've been independent all my life. And, of course, in this church family, we have all these different cultures that we share together, which is great. And some cultures are way better than others at caring for their family. I was talking with a friend last night over dinner, and we were mentioning this text, and she was saying, oh, yeah, well, like, that's more natural in our culture, in Asian culture, to care for the extended family. But, like, in in American culture, it's not very good. We don't do a very good job because we stress independence and things get, we struggle with this a lot. And I was saying, you know, actually it's not like just an Asian value. It's a biblical value. That's what the text is telling us, that we care for our family. And I can only tell you this, that I've made a lot of mistakes here, personally, in my family. I, there's a lot of ways that I haven't gotten it right, and I've wrestled through this. My wife and I have both wrestled through with it. Our whole family system has. And I thought it would be a lot more real to think about how to apply this text this morning if I would invite my dad up here. So, um, Dad, would you come on up, please? Dad's going to help me understand the text. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. Um, Again, I I just want you to hear my heart. I've been, Sue and I have stumbled over ourselves. I know some of you are in kind of the same life stage and wondering how to to do this, how to live out the counsel of God's word, which is on your heart. But um, here's what I know, that, Dad, you've been on both sides of this principle, right, of caring for your family, um, with your own family, and then on our end, and... um, I just want to ask a question. What, what makes receiving support so challenging? Because that's hard. You've done both ends. Well, uh, I guess independence <laughs> um, has a great deal to do with it. And I, w- I was thinking between the two services that um, I one of the things that led me to in this process was, was my dad because um, – uh, it wasn't an easy task with him. He uh, he didn't make it real easy for the family. But um, uh, I think it's my independence uh, started to be encroached upon when a cardiologist told me I couldn't work anymore. And uh, and then uh, as Marlene, uh, my wife. Uh, began in the early stages of Alzheimer's, I was approached by my son and daughter and their spouses to think about giving up some more independence mm-hmm. because I wasn't physically able anymore to care for her by myself. 
And so uh, they gave me a choice to choose one of their families, and I chose to come up here from Southern California and be with Ron and his boys. We won. And, <laughs> I just and, and so, it wasn't a competition. <laughs> and, and it was a difficult decision because um, I I have a daughter and a son-in-law, and he is just as much like a son. And uh, Sue, my daughter-in-law, is she's precious. And uh, but anyway, um, they approached me, and 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 I had a couple of days I needed to pray about that, and mm. which which way to go, and uh, and I made the decision, and uh, uh, we listed the house and. On a Friday, and it sold Saturday morning. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, how can you uh, talk to God then? <laughs> because uh, it's pretty obvious that a change is going to be taking place, and it needed to take place. Mm-hmm. And um, like Bron said, you know, um, we had to make some adjustments. Um, I. Uh, Sometimes felt like I was treading on uh, their their family, but God has been great. And you know, we had two years that um, <clears throat> that Marlene was <clears throat> able to stay home with us, mm-hmm. and then uh, she had to go to a facility. And but mm-hmm. you know, one of the great things uh, there is that. People saw that Jesus was a, made a difference in our life. That my son and my daughter-in-law uh, were there to uh, support Marlene. And um, so that part has been really great. And, uh, and when she went home to be with the Lord a few months ago, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the people there understood that, uh, you know, when we came in after uh, she had died to the facility, um, they asked us a bunch of different questions, but there are a number of them that I've been praying for for a number of years. And we had a great opportunity to share what Christ means to to us. And um, But, um, you know, when it all came down to it, uh, I think it was God's prayers, not only mine, but certainly my family's. Um, and I, we have a his, strong history in our family of taking care of our, our families. Uh, I did it of my mother-in-law and my my mom and dad, and they in turn did it for their parents and and in turn that other generation. But then we didn't have the social network as we might have today. Um, Dad, how do you see, you've mentioned some of this already, but um, how do you see Christ in the middle of this? Uh, You had the the pain of having to live with me every day, but there was something else that was going on. God was doing a work, um, something I've had conversations with people. It's about how to navigate the honoring and respecting your space and your dignity, and that's not always worked out great. Sometimes, you know, there's frustration in family life, and you're trying to navigate these things. And 
Um, how, how have you seen the Lord shine through everything? Well, I, I think, first of all, um, as my, my children love the Lord, and they, they express that to me, um, but I think the, it takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of prayer for uh, you and Sue, and it certainly has taken prayer for, uh, for us. But I also think of the prayer that, uh, that uh, I've been supported with from the guys in uh, Thursday um, prayer group that we go to, uh, Bible study. And they've been very supportive, and they've done a lot of praying along mm. with us uh, about just how do we navigate this. And um, it's still going on. Yeah. And, and yet I've, I've, I have to say that I've seen some examples in other extended families that haven't got along that way. Mm. But um, so... The most important part is the prayer issue, and that needs to be taken from both sides. Yeah. Um, there were several people after the first service that were hoping you'd spill a lot more dirt on the family. Um, they'll have to talk to you afterwards because I'm not going to let you. So thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. So what I, I really wanted you to hear is a little of the challenge on the other side, right? Uh, sometimes we think when we're in the, the place of giving that, you know, somehow that's, um, it's, it's sacrificial. But there's sacrifice going on on both sides to really love family and care for family. So um, the text tells us to prioritize it and to make sure that we're doing that. That's an expression of our faith. It's a non-negotiable, actually. And, um, and then Paul gives some parameters to care. And starting verse 9, let a widow be enrolled. They, so the, the context was they would enroll um, women who were vulnerable in that cu- cultural context to need. They would enroll them, and they'd, they'd have uh, some places where they could qualify to be enrolled in this, this place. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. There's a principle that he's going to speak out, and it's this, that we honor and support the honorable, that we honor and support those who have earned our honor. Let's explore what Paul is saying. Paul wants to ensure that widows on the assistance roster really should be there in the first place. Are the families taking care of them? And if they're not in a place where a family can care for them, then the church needs to step in. There was a custom that they had, the local first century church had, apparently, and that was this, that that if a woman turned 60, that um, she would dedicate herself to the church, to the service in the church. And she would be praying. She would be a faithful prayer warrior. She would help out in whatever context the family life and the church needed to be. And she would dedicate, dedicate herself to the church, to the service of the church. So that's the context he's speaking into. And there's qualifications for that kind of person. They needed to be a person of character, the text says. So perspective, 
women didn't live much longer than 60 years of age, right? That was what the life expectancy was in that culture and that time. Very rarely would someone, a man or a woman, live into their 70s or 80s like very often today happens. But such women would presumably not have too many years left, and they were called to devote themselves to the service of the Lord. Those that the church committed to take care of then needed to be distinguished by their character. And Paul stresses a few things about their character. First, that they should have the evidence of their faith, good deeds. It's not saying that they have to do this list of good deeds in order to earn the favor of the church. That's not what it's saying. But that good deeds should be a fruit of their life, a fruit of God's spirit in their life. And it should be evident within them. So it's not about a merit-based system, but a system where the, the woman or the person who is vulnerable really has a history of bearing spiritual fruit. And then Paul specifically mentions a couple distinctive things here, doesn't he, in this list? First, that they would practice hospitality, which was a highly regarded practice of the ancient world. But hospitality's warmth and sharing actually made it essential piece for the Christian mission. Because in those days, inns were pretty rough places. And people needed to be into a place when they came to a new town where they knew they would be welcomed. And the Christian communities often were those places that were offering such hospitality that people would be welcomed in. And those relationships would be begun. And people would discover the love of Jesus through the way hospitality was being practiced. By the demonstration of the love of God, by welcoming people in. So it's calling people to hospitality. And also, that hospitality met the urgent needs people had. And it demonstrated sacrificial sharing. Help of that support among Christians is uppermost, I think, on Paul's mind about how we practice our faith and how these, specifically, how these women, how these women would practice the faith. And, he list, and the list mentions two final specific activities. First is Foot washing, which might seem odd to you, but it was a practice in the first century. And Paul is pointing to it, not just a literal practice of foot washing, but the figurative practice that we are about humble service. That's who we are as believers. And Jesus himself called his disciples of that in John chapter 13, that we ought to be engaged in the humble service. Whatever it takes to serve one another, we ought to engage in and to help those who are in trouble. Then Timothy gives a caution, doesn't he? Verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. Now, he's speaking specifically to women who made a commitment to serve only the church. And then, as natural, you know, as would happen, they would, they would meet. They would be struggling with their commitment to the church or to step into another married relationship. And they would, they would be wrestling with this. So he's giving some parameters about what should happen. Verse 12, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith, the commitment that they had made. Besides that, they learned to be idlers going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossip, busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Just a caution here, this is... Um, this is said in the first century culture, and it's given for those women who were now supported fully by the church, and they were wrestling with their independence. They were making poor decisions in this church in Ephesus 
So Paul is giving Timothy specific instruction about why to frame our care well. And he's saying it so that they wouldn't, their behavior wouldn't be enabled, which, of course, is the great challenge of a church family. How do we live out the compassion and care that Jesus calls us to? We want to be effective with our compassion without enabling. How does that work? Because the principle is that we should not enable. Don't enable unfaithfulness with your aid. Some women had made a vow. They were struggling with their vow. They were struggling with their character and their behavior when the church was fully supporting them. And it was a mess. And so Paul gives them instruction about how to approach that. But there's a general principle about how we step in and care. How do we genuinely love and support people in need without creating unhealthy dependence? How do we step in and care for people in the family of God? Because we are called to do that. Paul's not saying don't do that because there was a general rule in the local church that we would treat each other as family. We would step in and care practically for each other, support in whatever possible ways we could so people would understand that they're loved and they're honored and they're cherished and, we would, and the church would function as a church family that would support those specific needs. Now, in our church family, we express compassion in multiple ways, right? Um, we express compassion outside the church family um, through a lot of different means, through global mission, through Compassion here in the city, Compassion Network, which many of you are engaged with on a weekly basis, which I thank you for. But we also look to the needs of our church family. And many of you have done that sacrificially. You've invested, you've looked around when people are in need, you stepped in with a meal or you stepped in financially or with your presence. And we have a team of people. It's spoken of actually in the book of 1 Timothy before in chapter 3. We have a team of people like this called the deacon team that leads us in our compassion ministry to the family here locally, our church family. And one of those partners is with us today, and I want to call Greg um, up. If Greg, where are you, brother? There you are. Come on up, if you would. Yeah, this is Greg Sandusky. Would you welcome him, please? Thanks, Greg. Yeah, you can get sit in the big chair. All right. That's the hot seat. I put dad on the hot seat. Yeah. So um, I said this the first service, but Greg is truly um, one of the men here in our fellowship that I really admire. Um, He's one of my heroes. Oftentimes the church will um, discover late in the day that someone has a need. We didn't know it, and we want to always address that and care for that. If that's happening in your family, please put it on the prayer share so we know. Because there's a whole team of people that want to jump in. But um, often I'll, I'll catch it later and uh, then discover and go over to that person's house. And Greg's already been there two or three times and done stuff. A lot of our deacons are like that. You know, they take the initiative and they jump right in and, and care for people. And um, that really actually is really meaningful to try to discern how to best love on families, right? And care for the families. We're called by Scripture to do that. First um, Timothy chapter 5 tells us that we should honor and care for them. Um, and I just, um, yeah, Greg, I guess I, I want you to articulate, help us understand how do we care for the church family when God has called us to do that, to, to be an extended church family? How do, 
How does that happen? How does that play out as, as you think about your role in loving people and diving in? And... Well, I, every situation is different, but I think you can probably take it from two points is that, you know, one is that I've seen and experienced um, God calling upon us to use our strengths and our gifts, our spiritual gifts that he has bestowed upon us, mm-hmm. um, which makes it fairly easy to to help those in need. You feel, oh, I can do this. Uh, I can help this person out. And so it's usually a, a no-brainer. It's very comfortable for us. Um, the impact day next Two weeks. Week. On the 20th. two weeks? Yep. On the 20th? Okay. Free advertisement, Nate. Yeah. Yep. There. Pastor Nate over there. <laughs> uh, it's very easy to do. Um, mm. Also, too, I've seen an experience where people who have skills in, say, cooking or baking mm-hmm. will help a family uh, with meals uh, as they tend to a family illness. Um, I've also seen where somebody who's skilled in, in ministry We'll go and visit someone in, who's in the hospital or is dealing with a family situation. And they just sit there and they listen, but that's their gifts, that's their strength. And so it's really not an issue. Uh, conversely, there's been situations where God calls upon us and, and you think, well, that's the situation, but I, you know, how am I going to deal with this? I, I don't know how to minister or I, I don't feel... You're way out of your depth. Way, way out of, way out of focus, and I think just constant prayer, uh, praying, you know, praying to God to say, you know, guide me through this whole ordeal. Um, there was one situation where we had a family that uh, was the resources were just shrinking; they were going to be losing their home. You know, just the whole situation and. You look at it, it's just overwhelming, and you just say, I, I just have to give this to you, God. Um, and slowly over time, we, we just all of a sudden see that this family has a distant relative who calls, I guess, out of the blue and says, hey, I'll take you in. I would love to have you. I'll give a job to your son. Just come on out. Um, and really, it was such a relief. I, I never ex- expected this to happen, but... When you just give it to God, it, it, um, t- things do happen in such a positive light. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, Greg, you've got the gift of mercy. And uh, there's a whole group of people in our fellowship that have this gift of mercy. They step in. They see it. You said, like, it's easy. But for some of us, it's not easy. Some of us would think, okay, so mercy is not one of my gifts, just so you know that. And... Um, it's, some of it's more challenging to step in and love on people effectively, right? Um, but what are some of the other ways that we can support uh, the work of the deacon team, support uh, and come in partnership? Uh, you mentioned a couple of them, but there's a whole list of things that I've seen you do. It's not just about giving money. It's about a list of other gifts, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not a, a forceful person by nature, and I think... The easiest thing to do that I found is that uh, when you speak to somebody, whether you know that they have a need or not, is you just come up alongside and just say, how are you doing? You know, how are things going? Um, if you happen to hear that they have a need, you can ask about it and just say, do you need, do you need my help? Do you need some help? 
Um, like your dad was saying, too, that people often have trouble asking for help. You can just ask and just say, okay, if, if you don't want my help now, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Just to let them know that you care, that you're listening, that eventually if they do feel that they need the help, that you're there for them. Um, that's a very, I think, a very easy way to help somebody. It goes a long way, I think, uh, for people not to feel so alone and overwhelmed. One last question, Greg. How do you, have you seen Christ displayed um, in the ministry of caring for the church family and people in need? Well, Jesus' goal was to show to his children how much his father loves and wants a relationship with us. And he did this by teaching his word and exemplifying his genuine compassion for us. So when we show that compassion and support to our friends and our church family, we also are honoring and glorifying him. So there's one, one passage in Matthew that I've always um, really liked to say is that in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Mm. I love that, um, that thought, right? Because that's what the, I think the whole text is about when, whether we're caring for our own family or we're caring for the church family, which is our family that it's about people seeing Christ in us and getting the glory for that. You know, people see Christ at work, that it's not us, but that God is doing something powerful. And exactly. that's my great hope for my family, a great hope for, I know you have the same hope, um, and great hope for this church family, that God would be on display and people would be able to see it in such evident ways. Uh, let me pray for us if I could. Father, um, this is a challenging text, and we're just scratching the surface on it. How, how do we best live it out, this strong counsel to care for our family and to care for those who are vulnerable and those who are in need? And help us to be a church that lives like family, that, that lives as you're calling us to live and cares for those people in honoring ways, not enabling ways, but ways that truly do display the work and power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All God's people said, amen. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.